0: Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it.
1: It was a national vote, it was a national referendum, and Parliament has to respect that. We're leaving on the 31st of October, no ifs or buts.
2: The time when people trust politicians, that's over.
1: Can you give us a question? I'm not g- going to give you a can question. You stay, can you stay Can You are fake news, sir.
0: There is an awakening going on. Activism works. I will do whatever it takes to stop Brexit. Hello and welcome to Politics at the Edge from the University of East Anglia. I'm Claire Preecy and with me, Alan Finlayson. And I, it almost makes, makes me chuckle when I listen to that because it reminds me how difficult it is for politicians to keep their promises. Yeah, remind me of the date.
2: Is it is it October 31st yet? Are
0: no, we in we, the EU? No, no, we haven't left. It's the middle of November.
2: OK, so this is that nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. <laughs> exactly. it, will <laughs> it will never end. It will never end. Here on I am and in the studio on. with you talking Brexit. Again.
0: again. I know, I know. Please get me a cup of coffee. OK, so I'm really pleased today we've got some experts to try and help us understand what has happening and uh, what has been happening and what might happen in the future. Professor Hussein Kasim is here again. Welcome. Hi. And Nikos who's an associate professor in European Union law. Hi. And I want to start with uh, Boris Johnson um, and how we got to this point. So Boris Johnson's been out on the campaign trail and this is what he had to say to his supporters last week.
1: We have a parliament that is paralysed, blocked and the result is that the whole Brexit delay is holding us all back. It's like a a bendy bus. A bendy bus jackknifed on a yellow box junction. Nobody can get round it. It's blocking the traffic in every direction. And the uncertainty and the delay are bad for the country.
0: So there, Boris Johnson in full um, stand-up comic mode, which is what he does best.
2: Yes, that's actually very typical of Boris Johnson. He always gives these very over-elaborated, overextended metaphors, which get a laugh, but then by the end of them, you've forgotten what it actually was that he was talking about.
0: Mm. So he says Parliament is blocked, Hussein, because MPs wouldn't vote to approve his withdrawal agreement. Is he right? Is that how it well, is?
1: Well, actually, that's not that's not quite correct, is it? Because he there were two motions that day, and the motion to um, to pass the second reading for the withdrawal. Um, um, Act bill actually did pass. It passed by uh, um, quite a good majority. So um, that's not quite true. So The problem that he had, therefore, was that it would be opened up to amendment and um, and you know, um, very close parliamentary scrutiny. And it's that, I think, that, uh, that was his concern.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and um, Nikos, where, where do you feel we are with all of this?
3: I mean, if we go back to the, the mode of the of the, the Leave campaign, it's take back control. And during those three years, a major question that uh, was asked is who will take back control? Is it the parliament or the government? Is it the constituent nations, Scotland or Ireland, or is it London? And in a way, I mean, of course, the parliament has put some limits to the executive, but at the same time, that was always their job. Their job is to actually scrutinize uh, the government. And at the end of the day, the parliament is also reflective of the divisions of the nation.
0: So we probably should try and understand this withdrawal agreement a bit because it is confusing. Can somebody tell me what's the difference? What's the What are the fundamental differences between Theresa May's withdrawal of, um, agreement and Boris Johnson's withdrawal agreement?
1: Well, I'll have a first go, but I'm, I'm sure Nicholas, Nicholas will come in and correct me. But um, I mean, the key difference is with respect to the backstop under Therese, Theresa, May, Theresa May's deal. Um, this was an unless and until kind of arrangement, so it would only come into come into being, come into action if um, a, an agreement couldn't be reached that enabled the, the Irish border to remain open. Um, what um, Boris Johnson has been able to renegotiate, and actually I think it's to to his credit because nobody thought that this would be possible, mm. he was able to open up um, negotiations over the withdrawal agreement. He was able to negotiate a quite different arrangement, which is effectively a permanent arrangement, which keeps that um, border open. Um, it's um, a, a case of sort of Schrodinger's cat in some ways because Northern Ireland remains part of two territories. It remains in the customs union um, of the EU plus um, alignment with uh, with, with um, single market regulations, um, but it but also remains part of, the, of a UK customs union.
3: The whole idea of, of the EU as an entity where there is free movement of goods is based on two separate issues. On the one hand, we have what we call a customs union, which is this idea that When you trade between the different member states, there are no tariffs. And at the same time, there's one tariff when we trade with the rest of the world. And on the other hand, the idea of single market, which is that, apart from the fact that there is freedom of goods, people, services, and capital, it's also that when it comes to goods, we all follow pretty much the same rules. So that's why we don't have any kind of controls within the single market. The, 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 The moment that the UK has decided to be outside the customs union and the single market meant that there will be controls on all its borders when it comes to goods. So, But at the same time, the UK said, OK, we're not going to have uh, uh, any kind of controls on the Irish border. We'll have a frictionless border. That That's only possible if uh, the UK decides to do one of two things. Either Northern Ireland has to be close to the EU or the whole UK has to be close to the EU. The, the initial proposal of the Commission was just Northern Ireland to be within the EU. Uh, Theresa May said that no prime minister would accept that. Then we had the Theresa May agreement, which said the whole UK would be close to the EU. And that's something that actually the the ardent supporters of Brexit said that this is uh, absolutely unacceptable. And we ended up with Boris Johnson deal, which is actually the first, the initial commission proposal, but dressed up in a way that it's way better and way more accepted, acceptable to uh, supporters of Brexit
2: isn't there something else important that's different to do with the nature and timing of negotiations for a third party trade agreement, right? The the part of what the the most enthusiastic Brexiteers didn't like about the Theresa May deal was that as they understood it, it was going to make it very difficult for Britain to reach the kind of trade agreement they wanted to reach because it wouldn't be doable until the EU agreed to it and they saw that as giving them all the power. Is it not the case that the way this withdrawal agreement works would actually lead us to a point where the UK could say, OK, we're done now, we don't want to have any more negotiations, but you won't give us what we want, we're going to leave. Doesn't it give them, therefore, give those kind of more enthusiastic Brexiters more of an opportunity to realise later down the line what they most want, which is an absolute withdrawal from free trade with the EU?
1: This is a really important point. Um, I mean, the reason that I think we started off our answers with talking about the um, the, the backstop is that's what has been in the forefront of, 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 of um, political debate and in the public's mind and certainly the press coverage. Um, actually, this is a really very important um, difference. And what Theresa May, May's deal essentially did was to, to keep the UK aligned with um, the regulations, uh, you know, with regulations in the single market. And this meant that, um, you know, this was sort of behind the aspiration to be um, you know, to, to have frictionless trade, so to have the closest possible relationship. And you're quite right to say that the Brex- what Brexiteers didn't like about this is it would stop um, the UK from being agile, from you know, undertaking these buccaneering trade deals with. Um, third countries and what changed with in under under boris johnson's um, deal um, under the revised deal was that all of those commitments um were shifted to the political de- declaration mm-hmm. to the extent that they survived
3: yeah no you're absolutely right i mean the um, uh, boris johnson deal gives this opportunity in the future for the uk to have a much more um, distant relationship with the EU. but it's important to point out uh that when the commission initially proposed that that was totally rejected and in fact, we have people uh, like Jacob Rees-Mogg that said that unless the DUP is on board, we will never accept that. The DUP mm-hmm. never came to board, but still they accepted that. In fact, we had Andrea Jenkins, an MP that has been uh, an ardent Brexiteer and a passionate unionist who said that actually, you know what? My constituency is far from Northern Ireland, and that's why now I'm accepting mm-hmm. uh, Boris Johnson deal. So, th- th- I mean, you are absolutely right, but at the same time, one of the main arguments against Theresa May's deal was that it was actually putting a, a border down the Irish Sea. There were people that were saying that it makes Northern Ireland a protectorate. And in fact, Boris Johnson deal, from this perspective, should have been rejected way more than <laughs> Theresa May's mm-hmm. deal.
0: It does that even more so, we mean.
2: Absolutely. But is there a sense in which this... uh, Because I think lots of people, firstly, I think, don't quite get that when Brexit is done, actually Brexit's not done. There's a whole new period of endless discussions and negotiations. But doesn't this mean that actually, in a way, the most difficult issue, which is how Britain is going to trade with whoever it's going to trade with, has really just been kicked down the road. The can's been kicked down the road so that they can get this withdrawal agreement passed and then we're going to have an almighty fight in some months' time, assuming there's a Conservative government that passes that withdrawal agreement, about what our trade negotiations are going to be. And that's going to be quite a hard and bitter fight, isn't it?
1: Y- yes. I mean, I, I think that um, there are, there are, the, the problem is there are multiple pathways and people keep on promising or, or asking for a clean Brexit, but um, whichever way you go, you're not, you, you don't end up with a, no. with a, with a sort of a straightforward um, overnight um, resolution of this. Even No Deal doesn't doesn't um, accomplish or achieve that. No Deal means that you come back at some point um, to negotiate with the EU um, under procedures that are far more difficult, far more hostile, far more, diffi- um, far more problematic for the UK um, than, um, than than the Article 50 negotiations have been. Um, if you go, if you go down the the the, the path that um, you know, if the withdrawal agreement is accepted, then you move into a second phase where you negotiate a trade agreement. And, and everybody recognises, um, at least that that knows something about trade, that this will be deeply problematic. It will be it'll take a lot of time. And the average um, duration of these negotiations uh, between the EU and a third country is about four years. Mm. Um, it'll take at least four years for this um, an agreement to be negotiated. Um, and the the clock says ten months
3: uh, not only the clock says only tw- ten months But also there's an the issue of ratification which actually is very very lengthy and more importantly uh, The UK and the EU have to reach an agreement wh- about whether they they, they they have to extend the transition period by the end of June. Is it the end of June? Mm. So There will be a new government by Christmas. Uh, We don't know when there will be a new commission. Uh, We're not quite sure when they will have this negotiating mandate. So effectively, uh, the decision about transition uh, wi- has to be taken within three four months of uh, negotiations yeah. so, so this is i mean even if you are the most um, enthusiastic and uh, benevolent and optimist version this is an awfully shorter period of time but this is
2: why my my hunch is that politically some of the the brexters in the conservative party think that at that point they can get what they want in terms of a as close to no deal as possible, yeah. either at that transition point or further down. And that's mm-hmm. what, that's their gamble. Mm-hmm. They back this because they think that at a later point they can break it.
1: I think that's, that, that's, that's certainly what um, what members of the ELG were claiming when, when Boris Johnson yes. came back with the, with the deal. I mean, I think that with that, you have to question what no deal would look like. Um, it's unclear to me that any prime minister, any political leader would really want to own no deal. It will be um, yeah, deeply problematic. Um, I am um, I'm, I'm um, old enough and sort of bourgeois enough to have somebody who comes and um, cleans my oven every year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my, my partner made, made what well, I would argue is a mistake in, in asking him um, if he was a bit worried about Brexit. And he said, um, well, no, because you know, if, if even if there's no deal, it'll just be two days of disruption. And um, th- my, my, my Polish suppliers of, of the chemicals for sort of cleaning your oven um, have told me that there'll be a company you know, of 2% tariffs at most. That's just not how it will be
2: what will the tariff be uh, well the, we
1: the, tariff, the tariff will be a lot a lot higher than yeah. that and and actually um as a as a as a good um yeah, as a good teacher, what I would say is you can go to the dexu website and 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 scroll your way down the list of tariffs because they mm. are there yeah. and uh, most of them are pretty alarming i think are it's not just the tariffs in the are,
2: interest of balance, I have to ask you hussein. Why are you talking British oven cleaning down?
0: (laughs) So we've established get Brexit done is is clearly just a slogan. It's a a very snappy slogan, but actually it's a lot more complicated than that. Now, Labour's policy um, is actually to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement again for a third time. Um, And this is what Jeremy Corbyn had to say at his campaign launch.
1: After three long years of Brexit division and failure from the Tories, we have to get this issue sorted out. We need to take it out of the hands of politicians and trust the people to have the final say. Labor will get Brexit sorted within six months. We'll let the people decide whether to leave on a sensible deal or remain. It really isn't that complicated.
0: It really isn't that complicated. Is he right, or is he also pie in the sky?
1: Well, a pie in the sky is, 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 is maybe a bit a bit too ungenerous, uh, uh, but, um, but certainly difficult. I mean, first of all, we've got to take into account the sort of weariness of the EU27, the, the EU institutions, that, um the length of time this has taken the UK to come forward with a position. Um, also, I mean, they've already opened the withdrawal agreement um, negotiations uh, once. Will they do so um, a second time? Only if, only if it's in their interest to do so, and I think um, I think that it, they might be quite happy to see some of the you know the regulatory alignment restored. Um, certainly, um, the Labour Party uh, members of the Labour Party would like to see environmental um, protection restored and um, and alignment on on sort of workers' rights um so those are things that you know you could you could see there might be sort of you know movement or or desirability on both sides about but um but i don't think one should underestimate the wariness um over the other side of the channel about about all of this now the um the eu really regrets the uk's decision regretted the referendum from the moment uh, it it happened the moment re- the results were known um but its interest now is in getting an orderly brexit um it wants it wants um, something that's sort of predictable and it doesn't necessarily want um, Singapore on Thames, which is, I think, um, it, it, it's sort of big concern. What but do we
0: mean by Singapore on Thames? Well,
1: some people argue that what's motivating certainly in a, a, a large number of um, of Brexiters on the on the Tory backbenches is, is a, a desire for a sort of deregulated economy that would compete um, with um, with the EU on standards. And of course, this would be destabilising and undesirable from uh, destabilising the EU, undesirable therefore for it, um, because having such an economy on your doorstep would be Um, would be difficult
3: and, yes, I might argue, dangerous. I think we have to appreciate that. I mean, although Brexit is a political issue, it is fought on legal terms. (laughs) And one has to remind himself or herself that actually um, the current negotiations is only about the terms of the withdrawal agreement. The EU cannot negotiate at the moment with the UK its future relationship. So in a way, um, uh, what uh, Mr. Corbyn is uh, suggesting cannot legally, sp- strictly legally speaking, happen. The UK can only settle Brexit, can only settle its future relationship once it's fi- it finds itself outside the EU. What can happen, of course, within six months or even less, is what we call uh, an amendment to the political declaration, uh, which actually designs um, or um, describes more, more accurately th- um, the, the main uh, lines of the future relationship. But I don't think that it's realistic to to suggest that in six months' time the the two sides are going to successfully negotiate the future relationship. This cannot happen.
0: And in terms of a second referendum... Presumably that would have to go through Parliament, Alan, and presumably that would take quite a lot of time.
2: Yes, what's the I uh, know what the time is expected. Yeah, there would have to be a referendum bill yeah. and there would have to be therefore some agreement on what the referendum question is, and there might be arguments about whether or not there should be some preparation for that referendum that wasn't done in the first referendum. So that could all take quite a long time. And
1: the franchise. The franchise is a really key <coughs> and crucial issue to be very so strongly well. Yes.
0: So should it be sixteen and seventeen year olds as well? Is that yeah. what would
1: that's, that's what that's what yeah. part of the debate is, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I mean, but also, presumably, also other citizens. I mean, you know, citizens of other countries yes. and UK citizens living abroad, and whether they should be. All those
2: issues who didn't get the vote the first time around. Mm. I mean, presumably, I think, I suppose, at one level, when Corbyn says it's not complicated, I, I think what he's doing is refuting the idea that the policy itself is complicated. to State at one level, it isn't. It is quite clear. We'll renegotiate, and then we'll put that as a this deal or out. That's quite clear. The complication, as you as you were saying, is actually whether they could get that agreement done in so short a time. And presumably their thinking is that it would it would be st- more straightforward because they would be as it were softening. The re- agreement they're trying to make it would be more moving towards the EU's direction. Is that is well, that, that what that, you think? That,
1: that's that's that that would make it um, you know, perhaps more desirable than the current than the, than yeah. the current. But you know the, the thing that has to be factored in trade o- and, uh, and trade off against consideration is um, you're getting you're getting this done because it's also in the EU's interest to get it done and to yeah. and to move on. But I think there's a there's a sort of a larger point which the, you know Corbyn's question uh, interventions um, sort of. Um, prompt, which is that none of the complexity of, the, of this have been really brought home, and this is one of the failures of, of media scrutiny in in this whole um, in this whole uh, you know, over the past three years, and one could argue longer when it comes to Europe, which is you know, a failure to recognise you know, the the intrinsic complexity of this, um, and it's particularly after the referendum um, not to identify what the sort of you know, the technical issues were. I mean, um, Nikos has spoken about the legal issues, which are indeed important, but um, but but which in some ways um, the politicians have decided it's not in their interest to uh, broadcast to a general public you know they, they, they have presented this as a simple issue it, the last thing it is is a simple issue
2: I think I think that's that's important but I think that's also there's yeah it wasn't in their interest to do so bec- because what's been missing from the debate has in a way been not just the technicalities of the process but actually the propositions that the different parties hold for what the country should would or could look like in yeah. a post brexit context and none of them really want to to say what that is and I find that slightly odd because it does seem to me that behind all this and you can see it coming out more clearly in the election campaign, there's actually some very very radically different proposals as to what the UK economy should look like and would be like. Yeah. The Singapore on Thames mm. model as you put it on the one hand from the Conservative Party and a more tax based state interventionist yeah. proposal from coming from, from Labour. So actually it, on the one hand there is a, a wider and kind of more interesting ideological divergence between the parties we've seen for a long time yet that's being hidden by the Brexit yeah. debate. If, and if
3: we l- want to put things into context, uh, we have to think of, about the following. The withdrawal agreement, as we said, is mainly about how the UK is going to divorce with the EU. And the main subjects were the divorce bill, the citizens' rights, and the sh- situation in the Irish border. Out of those three issues, two of them were actually solved within like four or five months. And we got stuck just because of one issue. The future trade negotiations would actually entail discussion about each and every aspect of the economic life, and not just here in the UK, also across the channel. So this idea that that was the difficult part, i.e. I, I, the, the withdrawal agreement negotiations, it's Totally uh, misre- doesn't represent correctly what will happen in the future, which is there will be a, there has to be a very significant discussion about what you said, Alan. You know the, w- how this country wants to be in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, but and, uh, but yeah, it's not just the, the the vision that politicians elaborate about what what kind of um, what kind of um, society economy that they want. It's also how that can be um, how that can be fitted with. Um, with um, you know, the sort of reality of the negotiations they're about mm. to undertake, I mean, when you start you know, thinking about this sector by sector, um, the you know, the scale, and magnitude of the difficulties are really enormous. I mean, the sector I know best is aviation, and um, you know that's a sector which requires a treme- it will require a tremendous amount of sort of delicate, intricate um, negotiations. Nicholas is also is also right about about something else as well, which is that. Um, you, the, the withdrawal agreement uh, is one thing, but um, but the EU, EU twenty seven have been really united um, over what over what they um, what they want, what's in in the best for um, the European Union. Um, with the trade with the trade um, negotiation, that's not at all the case. Mm. Um, the EU twenty seven have vastly different relationships. Um, yeah, for some countries. Um, you, you know the UK is the most important commercial de- destination um, for others there's just a security re- arrangement and, and, and those will um, you know those those dif- dif- you know, difficulties differences will have to be worked out before they come to the table that will make things very I, ha-
0: I have to ask you about the Liberal Democrats because they are the only party as far as I can tell who are saying that if they win they will revoke Article 50 and put a stop to the whole process. So, I mean, clearly them winning an overall majority is pretty unlikely. But can it be done, theoretically? Well,
1: legally possible, but politically impossible,
2: I would say. Mm. Yeah, it, le- yeah, legally, that's quite straightforward. They just pass a bill and, and, and they pass it. What's not clear to me is if that were to happen, what would be the fallout of that if they were to do that? Mm. Uh, because we st- you would presumably still have some significant proportion of the population strongly wedded to leave and angry about things being revoked without any consideration, they might see it. Obviously, a general election would trump the referendum, but you've still got a political problem about that. Percentage of the population that, that would be leave, that, so, that would be in favour of leave. So the division in the country in that sense would be intensified, it would seem to me. And I don't know how that would then play out in subsequent elections.
0: So, but are they doing this as a com- as a sort of a negotiating position for a future coalition government, saying, well, actually, you know, this anything that brings us closer to um, cancelling Brexit is is something that we might be able to sign up to.
2: Well, no, I don't want to sound cynical, but they're doing it for electoral reasons. That 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 that's their main pitch to voters. Their, their hope to in, the, the Liberal Democrats' goal is to increase their number of members in Parliament. That's their primary goal, uh, way ahead of revoke. They see an opportunity to weaken Labour and increase their representation and that's something they've always wanted to do. They see an opportunity to take some votes from the Conservatives because of the Conservative Party becomes more full of more radical um, not just on Brexit, but more radical conservatives. They think they can take votes from there, and I think they do. I don't. I don't think they believe they can win this election, but I think they believe they can increase their representation to a significant degree, which saves them from the hole they were in after the coalition and gives them a base from which to then develop. So I, I don't think I'm being really too cynical to say that that that, that, that primarily in their minds is not. In a way, it's not even the 2019 election or revoke, but it's the election after that. They okay. want to put themselves in a big position to win that. And I say that not... I mean, that that's what a party is for, so that's, that's not me having a go at them. That's just... That is obviously what they would, would do, right?
0: That's <laughs> how they work. OK, so um, I do want to hear from the voters. I went out last Thursday to speak um, to the voters in the, in the city of Norwich, and I asked them uh, if they knew, if they had a clear idea in their head about who they were going to vote for.
2: I know what my views are on Brexit, but on the election... I can't decide, to be perfectly honest. I don't think either of the main parties have got themselves sorted out, and a third party in the running has made it absolutely clear they're going to ignore what's been voted for so far, so I don't think you should probably just ignore the the previous vote like that.
0: How are you feeling about the whole election business at the moment?
2: Yeah, I'm glad we're having one. Yeah, very glad we're having, having one. But I won't be voting for Boris because there's so many things that I disagree with, with what he's been doing and what's going to happen. But equally... I'm not so keen on Jeremy Corbyn, so I'm hoping that he's actually going to step down at some point and someone else is going to take over the Labour Party if he gets in.
3: Politicians
1: cannot be honest, because being honest will cost them their career. Mr Corbyn, are you in or out? Tell us.
0: If I'm going to vote, it most likely be Labour, just because environment... I've seen more stuff like Labour talking about environmental stuff than like Conservatives. I think because Brexit isn't the main thing, you're talking the next five years, and obviously Brexit could last the next five years if we keep going the way that we're going, but, yeah, it's just really hard, because that is the main topic, but it's also not the only topic, so I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. So a lot of confusion, and not surprisingly, people don't know who to vote for. Can we offer them any guidance any advice any help at all or is it just is it just does it just come down to gut feeling and and, and and what you what you want to happen next
2: well I think I think your vox pops quite nicely illustrate the complexity and peculiarity of the election at least as it is at the moment so in it, it, in a way what election campaigns are about is trying to convince people uh, not of who to vote for but what the issue is that they're actually voting on and usually in British politics that issue is something like change or no change. Sometimes it's this leader or that leader. There are p- times where it becomes about a very specific thing, more money for this war or less, um, maybe Brexit. But what's going on is that actually the election is, obviously for some people it's about Brexit, but that doesn't quite neatly divide through the parties. Other people, as you had someone there saying it's about the leader. You had someone else saying it was about what the situation can be in five years' time. There'll be other people who will say the election is about climate and the climate emergency. So at the moment we're in this position where there's an attempt, to th- parties and others will try and make the election about one particular thing. I think the Tories will try and make it about Brexit, get Brexit done. Labour will try and make it about economic and social issues, and it won't get resolved. I think that's my prediction, that this election will not settle down into a clear question and in a clear division over which people can decide, which will mean there will be confusion. That may affect turnout, but ultimately that makes the whole thing extremely unpredictable. And I, I think in a sense you could say, really geographically as well as culturally, there's about seven different elections going on mm. all at once over seven yeah. different questions. Mm.
0: Yeah, really, really interesting. No,
1: I think, I think, I think I'll, I agree with, the, with everything Alan said. I mean, I, I would just say that um, you may choose as a voter to to decide that um, that Brexit, you know, doesn't matter, isn't the most relevant issue. But the, the, the problem with that is that Brexit is going to be Um, be an issue for um, at least another decade and um, and you know it's just hard to see how or if it it will be resolved Um, but certainly the election will have an impact on um, on the choices that are made it might not be a a decisive impact but it will be an impact nonetheless.
0: Okay can I ask some what if questions so what if Johnson gets his majority? We leave on the thirty first of January, probably.
1: That that seems to be um, the most likely um, um, sort of possibility. Uh, partly because so many moderate conservatives have have left have left the party or or won't be standing again. So that seems. Uh, it seems likely that will take place. Although we've got to remember that um after the withdrawal bill comes a transition period. Mm. So we're not yeah, you know, we're not leaving as such. Well, we're leaving in in, su- in some sense of the term um on the thirty first of, of January, but not until the end of twenty twenty.
0: So it, just explain the transition period and then what happens yeah. at the end.
3: So so the the moment that the the UK leaves for a period up to thirty first of December twenty twenty. EU law will continue applying in the same way. So there will be absolutely no notable difference, with the exception of the fact that actually the UK will not be present in the political institutions. So they will not be represented in the European Council, the Council, and so on and so forth. Um, So during this period, um, there will be no difference. And how long this period uh, will last, it very much depends on, uh, on, on a decision that the UK and the EU have to take by the end of uh, June of 2020. And uh, if they agree, they can actually extend this transition period for for, uh, up to one more year or two years. But if they're going to do that, uh, the UK would have to actually cough up large amounts of money, because uh, after 2020, we move to the next uh, financial circle of the EU. Where all the big member states would have to actually uh, contribute to the to the budget, so it's a ve- it will be a very very difficult discussion. So
2: that possibly means there is going to be a different, a whole new kind of round of fights in Parliament towards the end. I, if if Johnson wins the majority, there's going to be a lot of arguments towards the end of that Parliament, and so things it's going to make a difference how big that majority is, and how well they'll be able he is to therefore to control the Parliament. And as a small thing, I'd also say, <coughs> excuse me, it depends on. <laughs> Who gets elected? Because one of the things that is happening in this election is an awful lot of MPs are standing down. Yeah. So there's going to be an awful lot of very new MPs, which means they're inexperienced. Yeah. But that and that can mean all kinds of things. That can mean they do what leader says. That can also mean they don't do what leaders say. They're unknown quali- quantities, and a lot of the new Conservative intake look to me. Um, not this is not a scientific claim, but from what I can see, they tend to be more on the hard Brexit.
3: Two two, two points on that, if I may. Uh, The first point is that during the discussion in the Parliament about the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, the government had uh, accepted the possibility of introducing a new amendment with which the Parliament would have a say over how long the transition period will be. Of course, the the, the, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill was never never passed, from, uh, never uh, was um, got the royal assent. So we don't know what will happen after the elections. And, and a second point about the composition of uh, the new parliament. I, I think this is absolutely crucial uh, because, I mean, at the moment as we speak, there is almost uh, there's a tacit admission that actually somehow the, the Tories are going to win an overall majority. I just want to point out that you know, during the weekend we had uh, elections in Spain. The Prime Minister of Spain took the s- same risk as Boris Johnson. He thought that he's going to he's going to take uh, an overall majority, and he didn't. In fact, he he lost seats. So, what will be the composition of the next Parliament? Is it will be absolutely crucial as to how the uh, the next phase of the negotiations will actually materialize. Okay,
0: can I just clarify one thing? So, so I, I've heard said that actually, if if we leave on the thirty first of of January then we have to negotiate a trade arrangement and then but but actually we might end up leaving um in a way that is a bit like no deal anyway is is that right yes
1: I mean that 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 is possible if if the um withdrawal agreement is is um you know is is ratified is, is is approved and then um no trade agreement is negotiated to determine the sort of future relationship between the UK and the EU before December 2020 that's that's the case um, there there is some, there's, uh, there's something else to say. I think, I think Nicholas is absolutely right about um, the indeterminacy of all of this. I mean, we, we I don't think that many people expected there to be hung parliament in 2017 either. Nope. I think that's right. There is another political decision that the UK government needs to take, which is um, it needs to decide whether it is going to nominate a commissioner or not, mm. because <laughs> it hasn't done so as yet. And also um, the, the Johnson government decided the UK wouldn't be represented in the council. Right. Um, in council working groups so currently although the UK is still a member and it will be a member until the 31st of January 2020 at the earliest it isn't effectively represented it isn't participating um, as as a member state normally does in the um, in the institutions of the EU.
0: Okay I'm going to wrap up soon but I do want to ask if we get another hung parliament what happens then? I mean, really, where, where, do we, where do we stand if we get another... Because that is a real possibility, right? The country is so yes, divided. It is. It is. It's what, a what strong ha- possibility. What happens if we get another hung parliament?
2: <laughs> well, it depends who's the largest party. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it, it could be that the numbers fall out so that some kind of workable coalition or supply arrangement is possible leading to some kind of mm. functioning agreement and a sure parliament that does something about Brexit. That could happen. H- who's supporting whom? I I couldn't say. Um, or or it could mean that there is a, an inability to establish agreement. And I think I would say, <coughs> and I think this is a political science point rather than ideological one, is that actually what's going on here in the sense is that politics ultimately does need Different interests to be brought together and brokered in some kind of way, um, and in that sense, you know, compromises the art of politics. It doesn't mean selling out your principles. It just means recognising that if you want to get things done, ultimately you have to build larger coalitions rather than try and establish narrower ones. And part of the problem is we haven't got that. So, I, I suppose I say that in part because I- if there were a hung parliament, what would seem to me. The rational thing to occur, which doesn't mean it would occur, is that there is actually some attempt to build a broader consensus across perhaps a number of parties within that parliament in order to focus on what you agree on Any region?
0: last thoughts? Yes,
1: and th- this is something that the UK is not very good at because it has a majoritarian, a uh, winner-takes-all culture, and um, a lot of the responses, a lot of the sort of head shaking on the part of our, um, well, our, our, our current uh, partners, is that um, is they cannot believe that after referendum there wasn't a. Not necessarily national government, but at least you know, some kind of you know, national um, negotiation about what position we would yes. adopt and what, times what, yeah, um, how, we, on what terms we would leave and what the future relationship would look like. And there hasn't been any kind of um, discourse of that sort except for the, the latter days of of the May administration. So that's that's really important. And of course, I mean, one of the questions that's about to be raised is whether there should be another referendum. And um, of course, you know, one of the problems with that is we don't know. Um, how close it would be, which you know, and if it would be cl- if it's close, yes. then would that reso- actually resolve anything? Um and given that a lot of the problems that we're sort of currently confronting come from a sort of binary choice and referendum, it doesn't seem to me that's that's a way of resolving um, issues. And part
2: of what I'm trying to get at, I think, is the is the way in which it, we tend to talk a lot about politics now, and politicians do, as if it really is all matters of sort of just taste or preference or mm. culture. Mm. I like Europe, I don't like Europe. But mm. we, d- we we ignore that it is actually about Brexit and other issues are really Some people benefit and some people lose. There Mm. are some people who don't benefit so much from the EU. There are people who will suffer from Brexit. And there seems to be an unwillingness to recognize that there are real interests that are harmed by either option. And the only way to deal with that is to try and think about how you can Mm. broker some kind of relationship between those interests. And nobody wants to do that, which is why nobody wants to give that. But then then,
1: the six million dollar question is how we get to that position, because we just don't have the politicians Mm. or the political system which enable that. No,
3: we don't.
2: And that's where we, yes.
3: Now, uh, as my last point, I want to go back to something that Alan said uh, when he said that actually uh, here in the UK there are at the moment around seven elections. And I think this is absolutely true (laughs) and something that is forgotten often um, when one is in England uh, or even more when one is in, in London. I mean, there are parts of the UK like Northern Ireland where none of the main national parties run. uh, While in Scotland uh, there is a there is a dominant force in the in 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 the form of uh, the SNP, Um, and one has to appreciate what happened in 2017, where there was a hung parliament and the UP became um, a dominant force in UK politics, and the uh, UK politics discovered uh, the the opinions of the UP when before they were largely ignorant about. So if there is a hung parliament, we might end up again with. Some kind of coalition where there will be a party with a, a strong regional force behind it. And this might also dictate not only the politics of Brexit but also the constitutional politics of the UK for the years to come. So
2: okay. I, I think I can, can I sum it up there. Go on, then. I, I realise what the ele- issue is in the election. Strong and stable is not an option, it's just which flavour of chaos you want. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've been saying that for a long time anyway. Alright, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you to our guests, Hussein Kassim and Nick Scutaris. Thank you to the BBC Sky, Reuters ITV and Channel 4 for our news clips. There's more political analysis on our website which is ueapolitics.org and if you are in Norwich, on the 23rd of November or the 3rd of December we have two free events where you can ask the experts your questions about Brexit no politicians are saying that's right
1: exactly guaranteed (laughs) no
0: politicians at these events ask the experts if you want to book a free ticket they're free events bit.ly forward slash UEA hum events UEA hum events for humanities and we'll be back soon with another podcast more politics at the edge thank you for listening